You can go ahead and turn in or on your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you're taking notes, and I truly hope that you do, um, I, I think taking notes is, is, is incredibly important. You know, you start a fire with paper, and so we want the fire of God in our life. We want to we take notes, and we want to learn what God's got to say to us. But if you're taking notes, I want you to title it this, Eat the Frog. Eat the Frog. Elbow the person next to you. Tell them, it's time to eat the frog. Come on. Tell them to eat the frog. I want to see what kind of, what kind of facial expression you get from that. They probably think you're weird. Um, that's all right. No, eat the frog. I want to tell you a story, first and foremost, um, about a guy named Rowdy Gaines. Rowdy Gaines. And uh, Rowdy Gaines was an Olympic swimmer. He won three gold medals in the 1984 Olympic Games. He was an Olympic swimmer. He was a sprinter. And so I'm not a, I'm not a swimmer, right? I, I mean, I'll swim, but I'm not like, I'm not even good at it, to be quite honest. Like, I just keep my head above water. That's all I can really do, okay? That's all it is. And so um, he goes and he, he swam. He, won, he was a sprinter. And what a sprinter means is you start at one end of the pool and you go as fast as you can to the other end of the pool. And he, set, and, and, and he won the gold re, uh, medal three times in 1984 with sprint swimming. And he made those races in 49 seconds. It took him 49 seconds to get from one side of the pool to the other. It might take me about 40 minutes. Um, took him 49 seconds. Now the record I found out after the last service now the record is 21 seconds. They get there in 21 seconds. He did it in 49, 1984. Give him some credit, y'all. It's as good as Rowdy Gaines. It's in the 80s, okay? But he was training. So Rowdy, would, he was known for training and the way he trained. And he would, he would give his life. And he, you know, the nutrition he ate. And he would practice for hours and hours every day of his life, right? And he did this. And he was practicing for the 1980 Olympics in Moscow. Well, as they got closer to the 1980 Olympics, he practiced for about four years leading up to that, giving everything he had to get to that place to where he could, he could compete in the 1980 Olympics, sprint swimming in Moscow. But they were boycotted and called off. So he got there, and there was, I mean, well, he didn't get there. Before he could ever qualify, it was called off. There was no Olympics. And so he spent the next four years training for the 1984 Olympics. And he got there, and as you know, I just told you, he won three gold medals and all this stuff. But get this, Rowdy Gaines spent eight years, every day of his life, for eight years training for three 49-second races. Eight years for 49 Seconds. If you are anything like me, that sounds insane. You're like, and it's okay to like, be like, yeah, that is crazy. Like, 49 seconds. And it took him eight years to prepare to get to where he wants. And see, I, I got to thinking about that story. And I was like, man, you know, the problem isn't goals. Most of us today sitting in this room, whether I know who you are, whether you attend this church, whether you're here to celebrate somebody getting baptized, maybe you're online, it's your first time with us, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Most of us, I could sit down and go, what are your goals? And you have a laundry list of goals. Maybe they're financial goals, maybe they're relationship goals, maybe they're work-related goals, maybe they're spiritual goals. Whatever they are, we all have goals. We all have ideas of where we'd like to end up one day. Maybe you aren't even close to that right now, but you still have a goal. The problem is not goals. We have no problem with goals. The problem is steps. It's getting to the goal. We can have great ideas all day long, but the problem is, is getting there. Because a goal is just a wish until you put steps to it. 
And that's where eating the frog comes in. Because what we don't have a problem with is setting goals. What we do have a problem with is eating frogs. And y'all are like, yeah, absolutely. Do you hear what you're saying? Here's what eating frogs are, is. Eating the frog is getting up every day and doing what needs to be done, no matter how hard or how easy it is, every single day in order to get to the, entire, to the end destination that you want to get to. Goals isn't the problem. It's putting steps in place to get there. In fact, if I were to say it, I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb today and say 99% of the people in this room and online today don't even really, no matter where you are in your relationship with God, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, most of us have no problem going to heaven. We're fine with the idea of going to heaven because if hell, you may not even be to a place where you've accepted all that yet, but you may be like, well, if hell is real, I sure don't want to go there, so if the alternative is heaven, then I'm there. See, we don't have a problem going to heaven. We have a problem with the obedience in between. We have a problem with, I don't want to do what God asked me to do. Because if I have to do what God asked me to do in order to be obedient, and then I just have a problem with that. And see, that's the issue with most of us whenever we talk about wanting to win the year is we don't have the faithfulness to go through the steps and eat the frogs in order to get to the end destination whenever it's time to get there. We all want, we all want to get to the end. But how many of us would train for eight years for 49 seconds? Not many of us, right? Are y'all with me? Are we good? And so we're in this thing, and I want to talk today about this. I would say, I would say, eat the frog is summed up in one word as this faithfulness. It's faithfulness. Faithfulness is the ability. Watch this. Faithfulness is consistently doing what is right, no matter. Watch this. This is the goal, the key. This is the key to it all. Consistently doing what is right, no matter how we feel. Because if we're honest, as humans, our feelings determine what happens next, right? You don't believe me? Go to Starbucks for your coffee in the morning and let them mess it up. Right? Or, don't believe me? Get on the interstate on your way to work and let somebody cut you off. Your next reaction is dependent on how you feel in that moment. We wake up in the morning, I don't feel like eating that for breakfast, so I'm going to eat this for breakfast. Even though we have a goal of eating healthier. I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like going to the gym. I don't feel like apologizing. I don't feel, I don't feel. And I'm not even saying like that that's wrong. I'm saying actually if you feel like that and that's what you struggle with, watch this, you're normal. Some of you, you're welcome. That's the first time you've heard that. You are normal. But the reality is, is faithfulness is putting feelings to the side to eat the frog and do what needs to be done in order to get where we need to go. And that is the difficulty that most of us have in life. It's faithfulness is consistently waking up. See, nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, I think I'll ruin my life today. Right? Nobody wakes up and says that. Nobody wakes up and goes, you know what? I think I'm going to ruin my marriage today. I'm going to cheat on my wife. I'm going to cheat on my taxes. I'm going to steal money from God. Nobody wakes up and says, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to ruin my life with an addiction today. But here's what it is. It's somewhere we begin cutting the corners. And so we're not doing the things that need to be done in order to get to where we need to go. 
And so as we cut in the corners, we begin, we begin to, to see results that we don't like. And now we're wrapped up in this lifestyle that we never thought we'd be wrapped up in. Why? Because the faithfulness is in the wrong things. Is anybody with me today? Somebody give me something. And so faithfulness is the outward expression of, of, of a commitment and an obedience to something. See, we're going to celebrate people getting baptized here in just a few minutes. Like we're going to shout and we're going to clap and we're going to scream and some people are going to cry and we're going to hug and like it's great because people's lives are changed and all this amazing stuff. There might be some of you in the room that are going to decide I'm ready to get baptized today. I didn't sign up, but I'm going and I want to do it today and so I'm going to do what I got to do. I'm going to go put on the shorts they bought me and the shirt they got me and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to decide today. I'm getting baptized today. Maybe somebody online is going to be like, I want to get baptized today and you're going to dunk yourself in your bathtub today. I don't If you do that, like, for real, send us a picture, because I, man, I want to celebrate that as a baptism. But the reality is, is like, some of you are in that room, and here's why we're going to celebrate baptisms. It's not because, oh, the church needed something else to do. No, it's because people have decided that I've given my life to Jesus, and my next obedient step, my next faithful step, is to do what Jesus asked. And he asked, and he said, we should be baptized to show the outward expression of an inward change, and now I get to show that to the world. I get to make a private decision, a public declaration. And, and, and that's why we're doing that, because it's the next step. I want to I show you in the Bible. I want to show you in the Bible what obedience looks like. like Y'all, this, this story is crazy. You know the story of David and who? Come on, David and? There we go. All right. I got to get you. We, we're going to get there. David and Goliath, we know that story. He, he showed up with a sling and a, and a stone, and he killed Goliath, and you know, all that stuff, and that's great. But what we don't know, if we're careful, is we don't know the faithfulness it took before and after that to get to where David was as a king. See, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, there's this crazy cool story that takes place to where they're looking for a king, and God tells Samuel, a priest, he tells Samuel to go in, and he's like, go to the line of Jesse. That's where the next king's going to come from, and, and I want you to look over his sons, and I'll tell you which one to anoint as the next king, right? So Jesse comes in, and or Samuel comes in, and Jesse and him are talking, and Jesse gets his sons together, and he lines them up, right? And in, in, in front of Samuel, we're going to read the story in a minute. I'm just setting it up. He lines them up. Have you, have you ever with your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, whatever, just been really, really, like, proud of them, right? You're like, this is my, this is my kid. Can I just go ahead and tell you, every newborn looks like an alien when they first born? Yours didn't look any different. I know, all of us. We're like, he's, he's the cute. No, he looked, just give him a week. Right? Some of y'all moms are like, don't you talk about my kid like that? Dads are like, I mean, he's got a point. I'm just, I'm just playing around for a minute. But, so he's like proud. Samuel's, I mean, Jesse's proud of his kids. And he's, he's like, these are my kids, man. Look at my kids. They big and they strong and they good looking and they're, they're my kid. One of my kids are gonna be the next king of Israel, and he's he's walking them in front of Samuel and it says beginning in verse ten we're gonna read ten through thirteen. It says this Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Man, he's so proud. He's like you gonna walk, you gonna walk right in front of him, walk right in front of him. He hey that guy he's gonna anoint you king. You just wait on it. Watch. He passes him in front of Samuel and Samuel said to Jesse. The Lord has not chosen these. Have you ever been so proud of something and then you're like, that didn't work? That's kind of what Jesse's feeling right now as a dad. He's like, yeah, those my kids. They're going to be next king. And, Je and Samuel's like, nah, none of them. In fact, this is Samuel's response. Watch this. He goes, Samuel said to Jesse, are, are these all your children? 
Like, is this all you got? You ever had somebody, you like giving them the best of what you got, and they're like, that's all? That's all you got? That's kind of what Samuel did to Jesse right here. He said, is this all your children? And, and he said, Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. In, 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 interesting. Yeah? How, many, how many babies of the family we got in the room right now? Any babies in the family? Yeah, all right, all right. I'm a baby of the family. You know, the baby of the family gets what the baby wants, don't they? Like the baby, get, my brother used to tell me growing up, he'd say, he'd say, Brandon, you get away with everything. And I'm like, you doggone right. I'm the baby, and I'm, you know, I'm going to use that to my advantage. And my brother wouldn't be doing anything. He'd be like, Eric, stop. My mom would be like, Eric, leave him alone. That's right, you heard her. Hey, that's what the babies do. The babies get what the babies want. Like the youngest gets what the youngest wants, right? Well, this, the youngest in this family got forgotten. Like, think about it. His seven older brothers are being marched before a priest to go, these guys should be king. And David is in a field, and his dad goes, nah, you good, stay out there. You ain't good enough. Stay out there. There's no way, David, you're going to be king. There's no way that's going to work. Can I just give you a quick principle uh, real quick to think about in this story? Isn't it interesting? Because later in the story, we're going to read it. Samuel anoints David to be the king. But David's the one that Jesse didn't think God would use. Can I just tell you, stop selling God short. Stop holding something out in the field that God may want to use in your life. Stop putting it over there and going, God, this is what I got, and I think you'll use these things. What if God wants to go, I, I see what you got here, but I want to use that over there that you won't let me see. I want to anoint that. I want to use that insecurity you don't want anybody to know about. I want to redeem that and make it a confidence that you'll build on. Hey, hey, that thing over there that you're ashamed of, I want you to bring that out and, and trot that out in front of me because I want to redeem that and make that a part of your story moving forward. Hey, that thing over there that's still in the that, that, that past that you don't want that, to remember that you got out of the I need you to bring it in front of me because we want to deal with that. Can I just tell you, don't sell God short. Don't bring to God just what you think. Bring to God everything you got. Anybody believe with me today? Because I just believe that what God can use anything, and whenever I refuse to give him everything, then he's looking at me and going, what about that? Samuel, Samuel's looking at the seven sons going, yeah, that's good, that's nice, but they ain't the one. Show me the one that you left out in the field. In fact, he goes, I'm not sitting down to eat those baby back ribs you put on the Traeger last night until he walks back up in the room. Watch what happens in verse 12. So he sent and he brought him in and now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. I didn't know they talked about me like that in the Bible. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. The one they forgot. There might be something that, maybe there's somebody in the room that there's something in your life that you don't want God to know about. And so you've left it off in the side and I just want you to know that might be the very thing that God may use to anoint to take you to a whole new level, to save your life, to change your life, to get you to a place where you've never been before. Maybe you want peace, but the peace is found in the field that you've left it in. Maybe you're look I don't know, maybe you're looking for forgiveness for something that happened 15 years ago and nobody knows about, and God's saying, if you'll bring it back up in front of me, I got it. Quit leaving it in the field. He anoints it. He said, that for this is he. Then verse 13. 
And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Man, it's amazing to me that the, the one that was forgotten is the one that was anointed. But watch this. This is crazy. So we got David, right? We got David, and, and God goes, you're going to be the next king, right, in 1 Samuel 16. And that's great. He's anointed king. 1 Samuel 17, what happens? He defeats Goliath, and that story takes place. And now it's, it's the motivation that every football team needs in order to win a game, right? And what we don't realize if we don't dig and study hard enough and we don't know the Bible is what happens is it's actually 15 years between the time David was anointed king and the, king and the time David took over as king. 15 years. you got to hear me today. He was told something and it took 15 years for it to take place. So what happened in those 15 years? I'm glad you asked because I'd love to tell you. In those 15 years, David fought Goliath and killed Goliath. Oh, that's a good start. Yep, good start. The rest of it goes downhill. He starts up here, rides downhill, because after that, King Saul, who was his boss and his king, clearly gets upset and jealous because now the Israelites are praising David's name over his name. And so he starts rebuking him, and he starts challenging him and harassing him, and even throws a spear at him in a dining room one day. And spear, I mean, David dodges it, and it hits the wall, and David takes off running and hides in a wheat field. So David is almost killed by his king through jealousy. He's harassed, he's rebuked, he's chased through caves. He lives his life in caves. He's almost killed multiple more times. And then he had to hide in a desert. I don't know if you've ever been in a desert, but it's awful hard to hide in a desert. There ain't a whole lot of places to hide in a desert. David had to figure out how to hide in a desert because the king and his army were coming after him. They wanted his life. They wanted him dead because of the jealousy that King Saul felt. And then he was forced out of his nation in the process. For 15 years, this man had to fear his life every night he went to bed and every morning he woke up. But God told him he was anointed king. And for most of us, when somebody puts something bad on social media about us, we'll give up on the promise immediately. For most of us, whenever we don't feel it anymore, it's not true. For most of us, when somebody offends us at church, then I'll walk away. For most of us, I'll take every opportunity I have, and it couldn't be God. Maybe it was just the tacos I ate last night. Because after all, when I give my life to Jesus, it should be easy, right? I should always feel it. I should wake up excited, pumped up, ready to roll. The Bible says that if you have Jesus, you should have joy. But it doesn't say you will have ease. See, David took 15 years and he grabbed his promise by the throat and he white-knuckled what God told him. And he said, I will not let go. In fact... The man goes, this is David. This is David's character. I know David had his mistakes. I know David messed up. That's a whole nother conversation. But the reality is in this moment, he's running for his life. He goes and King Saul is using the bathroom in a cave. David comes up behind him, cuts off a piece of his robe, runs back across the cavern, stands on a mountain and goes, hey, Saul. King Saul turns around and goes, David? David? He said, hey, Saul, is this yours? Holding up a piece of the king's robe. Yeah, I guess it is, David. How'd you get that? 
David says, I just want you to know I could have killed you. But I honor you entirely too much in the promise God has on my life. And I won't end your life early. I'll be faithful instead. See, faithfulness is in the midst of hard times and in the midst of good times. We still eat the frog. We still do what we're supposed to do. We still follow God. We still trust God. And we white knuckle whatever promise he's given us. And we hold on to it and we refuse to let it go. We refuse to say, no, I'm not doing that. See, the enemy doesn't have to kill your dream. He just has to discourage your spirit. If he can discourage you. See, the Bible, John chapter 10, verse 10 says this. The enemy comes, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What's he stealing? Your joy. He's killing or discouraging your, your, your drive or faithfulness. And he will destroy your dream by doing that. Jesus says, I came to give life and life to the fullest. And so I came to restore everything he's going to take. I just need somebody in the room to know, uh, to know today that the reality is your faithfulness will bring you closer to God. Your faithfulness gets you in. It's doing the little things, whether you feel like it or not, to get where we need to go to be closer to God. It's, it's doing the little things. It's, see, it, here's the reality. Watch this. If, if faithfulness matters, it's the little things that matter, then I can look at it in a spiritual sense like this. What I do on earth is preparing me for eternity. What I do on earth is preparing me for eternity. Watch this. If I won't worship on earth, why do I think when the Bible says when I get to heaven, I'm going to spend time worshiping God, why do I think I'll be okay with it there? Anybody? I understand. I understand. It's tough, right? Well, if I don't want to sit in God's presence now on earth, why in the world do I think when the Bible tells me I'll sit at his feet, do I think I'll be okay there? If I won't serve no matter what here on earth, whenever I get to heaven and the Bible teaches me that I'll be serving him while I'm there, why do I think that I'll be okay serving there but I'm not here? Because here, this is the 49 seconds. This is short compared to eternity. And I get to run this race to prepare for that one. It's the reverse of rowdy gains. It's I spend 49 seconds on earth to spend eternity with him. And I get to spend my time in faithfulness. And I get to spend my time living for him and doing what it takes to get where I need to go. See, faithfulness is doing the little things God asked for without quitting. Because the reality is, is big doors swing on small hinges. We all want big doors. We all want beautiful doors. We all want big things from God. We all want blessings. We all want a platform. We all want this. We all want that. And the reality is, none of that works. No big door works without a small hinge for it to swing on. I got to pay attention to the hinges. I got to pay attention to the small things. I got to pay attention to all that. Let me, let me, let me show you an, another quick story um, before we get to baptism. Y'all, I get myself in all kinds of trouble at home. I start projects all the time. And I was working on a project yesterday, and I was like, man, this is a perfect example for what I'm teaching on tomorrow. Right? So I got in my house. We're doing a little bit of renovations. I want to lay some new flooring down, right? So I go in our living room, and my wife and kids are gone one day, and when they get back, all the carpet's up. No carpet left in the, in the living room. I pull up all the carpet and the padding, and I've scraped up all the glue and all that stuff. It's, it's, I'm like, yeah, ah, 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 ah. It's good. Let's go, right? And the way I want to lay our flooring is from one corner to the next, but to get to the next corner, i got to lay it in front of the front door, and in front of the front door, i got a, I got a bunch of this laying there, and... Somebody decided that the best way to do this is to glue it down with 17 gallons of glue. And I got a bunch of this laying there. 
And y'all, I pulled up the carpet and the glue so easy and the pad so easy. I was like, I do this. I, I, I got this. So I go over there and I start pulling up the first board of this. And this is just a piece of one. And y'all, I, you see this, right? It's splintered. It's, it, the back isn't even full. Like it's, it's, you know why? Because they, I didn't pay for a house. I paid for gallons of glue. And every bit of it's in that one area. And I had to take, I had to take a chisel. And I had to take a hammer. And I had to chisel every piece of hardwood up off that floor. And not one piece, well, maybe one, maybe one piece came up in its complete air. Like, so when it comes up splintered, you got to go through and get that little splinter piece up too. Because you got to get the floor smooth. Now, I will say this. There's a guy that has a construction company sitting here staring me in the face right now. That's looking at me like, I, I could have told you every bit of that. I don't need to hear your opinions. So I'm chiseling all this up right here, right? All this crazy stuff. And then I get it up. Y'all, I spent Friday night, I spent two hours working on it. I got a little, like two rows done. <laughs> Y'all, I was thinking things I never should have thought in my life. Right? And then yesterday at about 8.30 in the morning, had a friend of mine help me for a couple hours. But about 8.30 in the morning, I started back. I didn't finish till about 8 o'clock last night. And that was just all the boards are up. Now I got all the glue to get. Because you can't leave the glue down there. So y'all, for hours this weekend, I'm on my hands and knees with this chisel. Y'all, I kid you not, just like this. I get a quarter inch off of glue, flakes up a little bit. Get the next piece. I went and I bought adhesive remover. It don't remove anything. I let it sit overnight last night because you know what I got to do when I get home in the morning? I mean, after church today? I'm chiseling because I can't lay any floor until I'm done with the glue. And then I got people coming up to me after the 10 o'clock. They're like, I got this tool that'll help. Well, that's good now, thanks. And so I'm sitting here and I'm going, and yesterday, yesterday, Pastor Chris is on vacation, our worship pastor is on vacation this week, and his birthday was a few days ago, and him and his wife came by the house for just a few minutes yesterday just to hang out, and, 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 and they come up, and they see me through our door, we got windows in our door, and they, they come up, and they see me, and I got this pole that has a scraper like this on it, and, and it's like the, the size of a broom, and I'm standing there, I'm just doing this, and it, ain't, it don't look like it's going anywhere, I'm just... And he sees me through the window, and he starts laughing, so I told him to leave, no, I'm just kidding, I told him come around another door and he came in and he comes in and he's like what happened and I was like I decided to put down new floor and he goes why like, that is a great question at this moment my friend so I'm sitting here doing doing that and 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 and, and they're like admiring like I'm showing the vision of what I want to happen and what's gonna happen and I said y'all look at this and I was telling them about this floor because y'all I wanted to punch whoever put this floor down right in the throat 17 times yesterday but I know y'all are like, pastors shouldn't talk like that. That's how I felt, okay? That's what I was going through. And, I, and, and, and man, I, so I, I went through this thing, and I said, here's where I was last night. And I showed him a picture, right? And I said, here's where I was about two hours ago, right before you came. And I showed him a picture. And Hope, Pastor Chris's wife, she's so sweet, except in this moment. No, I'm just kidding. She's so sweet. She looked at the picture. She goes, Pastor, I can't really tell a difference. Y'all, I'm not kidding when I say I got, I got sweat dripping down my nose. Like, I am, I am hot 
and it is it was like 50 yesterday and i'm sweating and i looked at her and i was like that's kind of the point like i agree with you and i'm not happy about it like i was so man i spent all day yesterday and i'm going home to do it again today but here's the thing i could i could just lay the flooring on top of that i don't have to get all that glue up unless i want it done right unless i want what you see when you walk in my house to be right because when you walk in my house guess what you're not going to see the concrete floor you know what you're not going to see the glue that i chiseled up you're not going to see this anymore you're going to see stuff that i laid down that don't don't look bad you're not going to see that i was on my knees for two days hitting the chisel even when i didn't feel like it and i was tired and I wanted a bacon and tomato sandwich with mayo on the side with some, with some potato chips. Even when my kids are listening to the same song for their dance party in the living room for the 20th time. I'm still chiseling. Why? Because I got to do what nobody will see in order for what everybody will see to work out correctly. See, I can't get to a place to where I want faithfulness and I want God's big doors and I want these amazing things, but I won't chisel away when it's hard. There was points where my shoulder was given out and it hurt. You keep going. I know I'm ex exaggerating just a bit, but some of us put the chisel down before we ever get the glue up. We're not willing. We won't wait 15 years. Here's the reality. What you consistently do is who you will become. What you consistently do is who you will become. So when I drop this, this chisel in my life and I'm not willing to be faithful and I'm not willing to say no to some things and I'm not willing to say yes to other things and I'm not willing to do what I got to do no matter who sees it and who doesn't, no matter how hard it is, no matter how tough it is to eat the frog, no matter what, when I'm not willing to hold on to this chisel, I will eventually become somebody that is not faithful. And I will eventually, it will become very easy for me to say no to God and say no to his promises and say no to his things because after all, it's easy to be faithful when everything's fun. David waited 15 years to see a promise fulfilled. Will you? Will I? See, see the reality is, is during that 15 years, God, God didn't change his mind on the promise. He was just preparing his vessel. And that's you and me now. Let, let, me, let me end it with this. Let me end it with this. Admiral McRaven did a commencement speech in the University of Texas called Make Your Bed. Go look it up. Go watch the whole thing on YouTube. It's great. Called Make Your Bed. And he starts off talking to these college graduates and he says, the first thing you need to do in the morning is make your bed. He says, if you want to change your world, start by making your bed. Because you will have accomplished something early, early in the day, before you ever started the rest of your day. In other words, what he's saying is, is get up and do something that needs to be done to get yourself moving in the right direction and eat the frog so that you can be faithful throughout the day and you already know you got something. You're doing something. I'm here to tell you God's got a call on your life. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know everybody personally, but I'll tell you this. God's got a call on your life. God's got great things. 
and God loves you and he cares. But the reality is, is most of us forfeit that because we let go of the chisel. We're enamored with everybody knowing everything about us. And if they don't, I'm not holding this. It's too hard. It's too tough. I woke up this morning, y'all, and the muscles right here in between my thumb and my index finger are like, I can't grab anything right there. They're bruised because of the hammer and the chisel. It's all right. I still got glue to go get up. I know some of you walked in here today and you're bruised and you're hurting and it's hard. I just need to tell you it's okay. Pick up the chisel. Pick up the hammer. God's got you. It's going to be all right. You may feel like you're in the 15-year waiting. It's okay. I think it worked out for David. I think he still saw the promise. I think he still saw what God called him to do. He messed up in the process, but he still saw it.